Today's message was brought to you by the gifts and love offerings of the people of Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. Pastor Jason Swanson is our senior pastor here at RBC, and this message was recorded during our regular Sunday morning service times. Pastor Jason is currently in a series he's calling a walk through the book of Acts, Jesus at Work. And as Pastor Jason continues his study in the book of Acts, today we're in part 22 in a sermon he's entitled, The Miraculous Message. Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 5, and today Jason is looking at verses 12 through 21. Let's join Jason now in his sermon. We have been working our way through the book of Acts, and I am going to get to the book of Acts at at some point here, but I wanted to spend a little bit of time once again talking about community groups, and, and I'm not certain if some of you, when I say that, your, your mind automatically shuts off and goes, wait a minute, Pastor Jason, haven't you already spent all this time talking about community groups? Aren't you just going to get this going? And yes, we are planning on getting this going, but we believe this to be so important that, that we don't want to start off weekly. We want to start off right. And we want to do this right. And in order to do this right, we really believe that, that we need to honestly over-communicate And so what I am going to try to do today is I've already talked about kind of the biblical basis for community groups and and then how these community groups fit in with with the mission statement of Rancho Baptist Church. Today I want to talk about the differences. The the differences between maybe what what you have come to before here that are actually going on right now at Rancho Baptist Church home fellowship groups, and even in some cases, Sunday school classes, how they differ from what we are endeavoring to do in launching of, of this new idea of community groups. And first off, I, I, I just have to let you know that in many aspects, there, there, there's not a whole lot different in that home fellowship groups, what's the purpose, what's the intention? Well, it's to, it, it's to bring about intimacy and fellowship. One with another, and that's the reason why we, we do home fellowship groups. And, and we're excited about home fellowship groups. And, and actually, there's some Sunday school classes. When they meet, that's what they're all about. They're all about fellowship. They're all about intimacy. And, and that is great. The difference with the community groups would be the scope, the emphasis, where we're planning on going with these groups, who's going to be involved in these groups and even perhaps the longevity of these groups and and why that is different. Because this is not something that we see starting and then stopping. This is something that we see starting and then continuing on over and over and over again throughout many years. Why? Because we need one another. And I would say first, the scope of these community groups is different than than the scope of, of many home fellowship groups or even Sunday school classes why? Because generally, when you look at home fellowship groups, they're, 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 home, they're home-based. Yes, that's how community groups are, but they're more supplemental. They're, they're more secondary. They're, they're not primary, and I would say that, that they're kind of like a side dish of the church. That if you want to go and get involved in one, great, but the majority of people within the church, they say, oh no, I, I don't really need that. Whereas what we're looking at as these Community groups, we're not looking them at them as secondary or supplemental. We're looking at them as being primary, being essential. That just as important as preaching God's Word, teaching God's Word on Sundays, and, and spending a lot of time, what? Building up all believers in, in their 
understanding of theology and their understanding of doctrine, meeting together in, in corporate worship and, and having a time of, of singing, prayer, communion, even baptism. Okay, so, so what's the other side of that? Well, the other side is, is the practical application of, of those things one with another, living life together. And yes, home fellowship groups, they, they, they speak of fellowship, but community groups are going to be something that, that's going to be even more directed, even more intimate. And what I've already mentioned before, kind of more inclusive of everyone. That's something else that's much different about community groups versus home fellowship groups. Because generally, and Sunday school classes are the same, they're, they're targeted for a certain audience. Not everyone in the church Usually a, a home fellowship group won't uh, have children come to their group or, or this or that or a Sunday school class will, will be more for this particular age group. And, and what we're looking at in, in these community groups is, is much more expansive. We, we want to include everyone. So, so we want to see families involved. We want to see singles. We want to see the older saints and the younger saints all coming together in just the same Mindset that we see talked about in Titus chapter 2 verses 1 to 8, right? Where, where, where the older women can come alongside the younger women and, and, and bless them and love on them and help them to, to, to manage this, this new life as, as either a, a mother or a wife. And, and the same thing with the, the older saints in our body can come and they can be a blessing to, to the younger. And so that the, even the target audience of, of what we're looking at is, is different. I would say too that, that the focus and, and the way that these home fellowship groups usually function and even Sunday school classes is, is the focus is, okay, there's one teacher and he teaches everyone. And, 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 and there might be interaction, but there's not a whole lot of interaction. It, it's more of a monologue. It's, it's not quite the same as, as, as me coming and preaching on Sunday mornings, but it's much more, okay, he is the teacher, we, and everybody else are the students. Whereas what we want to see happening in these community groups is, is more of a, of, of someone coming, the leader, which at the beginning are, are, are going to be the elders. We want to see this, this leader coming, and he's going to then lead the group in more of a group discussion to where everybody's pulled in. And I recognize that there's going to be nuances in that because if these groups are going to be 25, 30, up to 40 people in the group, if everybody spends 10 minutes giving their input in in this and that, we're going to be meeting for four hours. And so these groups can't be quite that expansive, but everybody is going to be involved and that's what we want to see. We want to see just major discussion, major involvement with one another's lives as a result, even the way that these groups are, are going to look is going to be different. Why? Because we believe that there needs to be worship. There needs to be shared fellowship around the table, eating with one another. And then as this intimacy gets deeper and deeper and friendships are established, and, and really what we're talking about is intentional discipleship, as that becomes more and more ingrained in this group, you, you know what's going to just happen naturally? We're going to start praying for each other more. We're going to start serving each other. And, and it'll be serving, serving based upon relationships, prayer based upon relationships, that instead of getting a, a, an, an email saying, oh, such and such needs prayer, and you're not sure who that person is, within your community group, you're going to know exactly who that person is. 
And so it'll just allow us to wrap arms around one another that much more accurately and, and passionately and lovingly because we'll know each other. I, I would say too that, that even in thinking through where the Lord has brought us from and where the Lord is leading us to, that these groups will help us to, to finalize the, the, the transition that, that many have experienced through the, the pain and the devastation of what happened in August of 2016 uh, among our body. And, and praise the Lord for having Pastor Rick and, and Lucy come and share with so many of you and help so many of you in, in this process of healing and forgiving and, and, and recovery and, and moving on. And, and what this is going to do is this is going to allow us to continue taking those steps and allow us to wrap arms around one another hopefully to, to improve our, our love and our care for each other. And there are many things that RBC has always been about that we will continue to, to be about. This, the Word, we will all, always be about the Word. We will be about, about missions because that goes back to the beginning days of Rancho Baptist Church. And so it's not so much excluding this over that, as I've said earlier, but emphasis over exclusion right now. What, what we want to do is we want to put a push towards these community groups. And we'd like to see eight of them started here very soon. And so we'd ask you to pray about your involvement in, in these community groups and seek the Lord as to exactly how, how you can be involved. And we've even thought through, okay, well, we don't want something to be an extra burden because everybody's schedules are so crazy. And so what we are planning on doing is having these every other week in order to give you all the opportunity to get involved in them. Okay, and enough about community groups. Now, now let's look at Acts chapter 5, which really is a community, right? That, uh, what I'm talking about, what we are looking at doing as far as these community groups, is following the church in Acts. This is the way that they lived. And last week, you'll remember that, that what we went through was a, a sermon that I entitled The Significance of Sin. That is what we saw. We saw the significance of sin portrayed in this incredibly depiction of Ananias and Sapphira's sin. And how Christ desires His church to be pure above all things. And yet as we consider now what, what happens next, I, I'm sure like, like you, you have to start thinking, I wonder what, what these believers in Jerusalem were actually thinking at this time. Right? I mean, they had enjoyed such wonderful, rich fellowship, such deep fellowship, and even the mighty working of God being displayed right before their eyes, day after day after day, they were giving to one another in such sacrificial ways. And then all of a sudden what happens? Sin comes into the church and right before their very eyes. And I believe it was right before their very eyes. Because the Word talks about the fact that when Ananias dies, Peter has these men come and take his body right there and carry him off. And then with Sapphira, the same exact thing. So, so I believe the whole body was there witnessing this. And no doubt, possibly as they witnessed this, and as they saw Sapphira's body being carried off, I wonder if they remembered back to all the good things that God had done and how God's grace was truly upon them. And perhaps they thought, that's it. No more. 
the, the glory days of the Lord for, for the Jerusalem church are behind us now. God has departed. God has left. What will happen now? And, and I wonder if some of us here, thinking back to 2016 and, and what happened, that, that, that some of us might have a similar mindset, similar questions. What now, Lord? Are you going to continue to work? In and through this church, what, what, what is your plan? What is your purpose? And, and I'm here to say that what we are going to see today in God's Word is the hope that we have in the Gospel that, that Christ isn't finished with this church in Jerusalem. Just because sin entered the church doesn't mean that the church is then destroyed. If the church responds correctly, which it did, which RBC did, then God is going to continue to still use that church particularly if we major on the major things that this church was majoring on, which is His Word, which is the Gospel of Christ, and which is being submitting to the Holy Spirit, being led by Him, being controlled by Him. So turn with me to, to Acts chapter 5. And, and I'm sorry, I'm not going to get through the, the entire outline that, that is in your bulletin insert. I'm only going to get through verses 12 to, to 16 this morning. So follow along with me in a sermon I've entitled The Miraculous Message because that is what this is all about. This is all about the Gospel of Christ and all that that contains and all that that meant for the early church. Verses 12 to 16. At the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were taking place among the people and they were all with one accord in Solomon's portico. But none of the rest dared to associate with them. However... The people held them in high esteem. And all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women, were constantly added to their number to such an extent that they even carried the sick out into the streets and laid them on cots and pallets so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on any one of them. Also, the people from the cities in the vicinity of Jerusalem were coming together, bringing people who were sick or afflicted with unclean spirits and they were all being healed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your wonderful Word. We thank You for Your precious Gospel. We thank You for the salvation that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we recognize, we acknowledge to You, Lord, that we need You. We need You to help us to understand Your Word more fully. We need Your Spirit to continue to illuminate Your Word. To be that power in our lives that allow us to live for Your glory. And we pray now, Lord, that You would help us to understand Your Word, that we might leave here with a better glimpse of You and how great You are and the plans that you have for us as believers here at RBC. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. So after the sin of Ananias and Sapphira, what we see next is we see here three ways that Christ is, is still at work in His church. And, and I want us to be reminded that Christ is still at work in His church. 
He hasn't abandoned them just because sin came in, just because Ananias and Sapphira made some terrible decisions. He hasn't abandoned the church. And what we're going to see, or we're going to see three ways that Christ is still at work. First, we're going to see it in, 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 the, in the ways of the miraculous, through the miracles of signs and wonders. Then we're going to see it through the ways that, that the multitudes respond, both to the message and the miracles. And finally, we'll see this next week, through the sending of, of the angel to tell them to keep preaching Christ's message, the miraculous message. But first what we see is this. We see the miraculous. Look at verse 12 with me. At the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were taking place among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's portico. So we notice that after the fear came upon them, as a result of what was happening with Ananias and Sapphira, and we saw that two times last week, that that after this fear comes... Then comes God's blessing upon them. For they had dealt with the sin. And now what happens? It says at the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders. I don't believe that means that, that it was their hands were somehow special and powerful, that it was only through their hands. No, this is figuratively talking about the apostles. And, and what is the emphasis? The emphasis here is that it was the apostles, not the entire church. Not everyone was doing this. It says that the apostles were were doing this. And we've already seen signs and wonders before, but but why do we see the apostles doing this? How how come we don't see it happening with everyone in the church? And and the reason is, is because the apostles were specifically commissioned by Christ. And as being specifically commissioned by Christ, they needed to have their message validated. This message that was validated through what? Through the doing of, of these signs and, and these wonders. And I think many times people think, oh, this was a miracle working church. Look at all the things that happened. And then you hear today people saying, oh yes, this is a miracle working church. And I would say, no, it's not a miracle working church. The church in Jerusalem was, was a church that had miracle-working disciples or apostles. That, that's what the difference is, that, that these guys were commissioned and then they were given this power and the authority to do the things that they did in order to substantiate that it was not their message, that it was the message of Christ. And so everything that they did didn't point to themselves. It pointed to the one whom they were representing. And we saw earlier what, what signs and wonders are. We, we know that signs are, it's an event that indicates something greater that's coming. It's, it's to cause something to be both specific and clear, but to point to something. And in this case, these signs are pointing to the truth of the gospel. That Jesus was indeed the Messiah, just as Jesus' miracles did the same thing. And what are these wonders? Were, were they, they, they are divine power revealed in a, in a way that, that defies normal human explanation. That is what was going on. And yet in this, instead of using the term miracles, they use signs and wonders. Why? Because I believe the wonders are talking more about the reaction to something. That they were in awe over what was happening. And why was this happening? Let's not forget what, what they had prayed earlier. 
Remember chapter 4, verses 29 to 30. You can turn there with me. Acts chapter 4, verses 29 to 30. And this happens right after Peter and John are released from the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin tells them to not say this word of, don't preach in this word anymore. Don't preach Christ. And they say, no, we're going to obey God rather than man. And and then as they get together as believers, this is what they pray. And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence. So is that all that they're doing? Even though we see in this context, it's all about signs and wonders. No, what are they doing? They're speaking the word in confidence. And then they know as they speak the word in confidence, what's going to happen? While you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Why did they pray that? Because they knew that is exactly the way that Jesus did it. And they were going to follow suit. And Jesus had told His apostles that that is what was going to happen. That they were going to be able to do these signs and wonders to prove exactly whose message they were proclaiming. That they were indeed followers of Christ promoting Him and preaching His good news. And yet I recognize that that when the topic of signs and wonders and gifts comes up, it brings a lot of confusion to the church. Okay, Pastor Jason, so so what do we do with this? Why is this happening here? Should this still be happening today? And, and, And I would say that we have to remember the context. And even pointing back to Acts chapter 2, verse 22 in Peter's first sermon, do you remember what he said about Jesus and all the miracles that Jesus did? That they were for a purpose. They were for a purpose of establishing, attesting, certifying who Jesus was, that He was indeed the Messiah. And and no doubt before this time, there had been many Messiahs, so-called Messiahs that had come. And how do you substantiate them? How do you validate? How do you know for sure what the true Messiah is from the false? Well, you, you know by the actions, by the miracles that they do. And no Messiah before Jesus or so-called Messiah was able to prove who he was by doing things like Jesus did. And now the apostles are doing the same thing. They're following suit. They're certifying. They're attesting to the fact that they are indeed sent by Christ. And, and we see the Apostle Paul talk about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. He says that, that the marks, the manifestations, the proof that someone is an apostle is that they had done signs, wonders, and miracles. So God uses the signs and the wonders to do what? To authenticate and to prove the messenger in order to validate the message. So they would know for sure that this message wasn't the message of man, but this was the message of God, the message of Jesus Christ. His gospel. We, we will see this as well as we look at the book of Acts and as the book of Acts continues to unfold. We notice in the beginning chapters here that there are lots of miracles going on. That, that there are lots of signs and wonders happening. But as we continue our way through the book of Acts, you will notice that it becomes less and less and less. And, and actually, as you look at the history of the early church, and you look at, in particular, the first century. The beginning time of the first century here. There's lots and lots of occurrences where you see miracles happening. And then as the first century goes on and gets towards the middle and towards the end of the first century, you know what happens? This 
talking and, 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 and even depiction. Narratives of, of lots of miracles happening doesn't show up as much. And you would think if that was the case, you would see it in the epistles too, right? Well, we do. And so the epistles that were written earlier on, say in this time, during Acts 2, 3, 4, 5, you know what? All of those epistles, they speak of the same thing. They speak of all of these gifts and all of these signs and wonders. You see it in Romans chapter 15. You see it in 2 Corinthians. You see it in Hebrews. But interestingly enough, as you look at passages written later, even of the Apostle Paul who wrote Romans and then later writes Philippians. And in 2.27 of Philippians, we, we know that there's this man, Epaphroditus, and, and, and he gets sick unto death. And Paul wants to send him back to Philippi, but he can't. Why? Because he's so sick. Well, well, if miracles were happening all over the place as they are here, why, why didn't he just heal him? And then we, we'd go on, and, and, if we, and if we looked at 2 Timothy, which, which is written even later than 1 Timothy, we, we see here that, that there's a man named Trophimus, and he's left in this place called Miletus. Why? Because he gets sick. Well, well, come on, if this was really going to happen, what, wouldn't you think that Paul would just go ahead and use his gift that God had given him of healing? Because no doubt Paul had that gift. He also spoke in tongues. And yet towards the end here, we, we don't see him doing that. And then even with his dear son in the faith, Timothy, he encourages him to drink wine to help his stomach rather than healing him. Why? Because I believe as you see the first century going on and on and on and on, the gifts get less and less used. Why? Because they'd already validated themselves as the apostles. And the canon of Scripture was coming into being. I think this is really seen in the book of Revelation. As you look at Revelation chapters 2 and 3, which are, are, it's, it's written in 95 AD. This is almost the end of the century. And yet as you look about these churches and you see these designations about, about these churches... You know what you don't see? You see all sorts of characteristics of these churches. What you don't see is any mention of these miraculous signs and wonders. Does that mean they're not important? No, they are important. What, what I'm saying is that they were important for this particular time to substantiate who these men were and what message they were proclaiming. Today we have God's Word. Again, I, I, emphasis, not exclusion. I'm not saying that God cannot heal today. He does indeed heal today. What I'm saying is don't follow me around and my shadow and expect that you're going to get someone healed today because I'm a pastor like Peter. <laughs> this was a different time. And, and this is our God. And God can choose to heal the way that He wants to heal in the time frame that He heals. And I believe from Scripture's perspective, we see different times where God just unleashes His healing. And then it stops. We saw it, you see it in the life of Moses, you see it in Elijah and Elisha, and then you see it in Christ and His apostles. And then outside of those three times, there's not much. I believe God does that with intentionality to let us know that this was a special time. This was the birth of His church. And do we still need to pray for healing? Yes. Do we as elders pray for healing? Anoint? Yes, we do, because that is what the Word says. And God does answer that. 
I'm just saying it's not in the same vastness as we see here in, in the book of Acts. What else do we see? We, we see something I think is just as much of a miracle as, as the signs and wonders. The fact that they're in one accord. Again. Remember earlier we saw one soul, one mind. Now we see they're in one accord. Pastor Jason, why is that so amazing to you? Well, because they just went through this major ordeal with Ananias and Sapphira. I would think at this point people would be saying, oh no, that, they shouldn't have, oh they died probably because of this or because of that or, or, no, they're still in one accord. That is the Lord's empowering. Because what they're doing is, is they're setting aside their own personal preferences and what they think about this and what they think about that. And they're saying, you know what? We're going to make the, the main thing the main thing. And what's the main thing? The main thing is the gospel. This message that we are to proclaim. And we see them meeting where in, in Solomon's portico. We know about Solomon's portico. We've, we've seen it already several times in the book of Acts. I, I believe this was the place where the early church was meeting. This is where Peter did a second sermon after the paralyzed man was healed. And then what we see next is we see how these miracles, how these signs and wonders had, had really two very interesting and, and, and opposing results among the multitudes. Among the multitudes. <laughs> Look at with me at, at verse 13. As we'll see the first response to, in, in this multitude of people. And is that, that is that they dare not associate with them. The second one, in verse 4, or 60, we will see something incredibly different. In, in verse 14, we'll see many believe, but not in 13, but none of the rest dared to associate with them. However, the people held them in high esteem. None of the rest, that speaks of those not included, ones not previously talked about. It's not talking about believers, it's talking about the outside world in Jerusalem. That as they're looking at them, they say, oh my, that is amazing, that is great, but I want nothing of it. Why? Because that's scary. Not only is it scary on the aspect of Ananias and Sapphira, that this God, that our God would do this, but it's scary on the aspect of the Sanhedrin, right? The Jewish leaders that they recognized, oh man, for us to spend time in that group, that, that could really cost us something. And, and, and we don't want something to cost us that much. And could it be even true that they were thinking, well, I actually like my sin. And so I, I don't want to get involved with that group. That, that's too much. And yet at the same time, we see that they held them in high esteem. No doubt the apostles' conduct and the way that they were loving one another, giving towards one another, and and then even standing up to sin was causing them to have a respect for them. And I I would dare say on, on top of that is this idea of Ananias and Sapphira. that they recognized that only the committed were actually going to come and join this church. Anybody uncommitted, there's no way they'd want to get involved. They'd be, they'd be thinking too much about the significance of what could happen. And this lets us know that sin is not to be tolerated in the church. Does this mean that, that there's no sinners in the church? Or if that, that was the case, this church would be empty. 
But what this means is that, that we're supposed to pursue holiness and hate sin. Just as our God is holy, right? And at times this should make us uncomfortable. We, we should be uncomfortable thinking about Ananias and Sapphira. Wondering why in the world have, world have I not been dropped dead for the things that I've done in your presence, Lord. And yet we see the hope, do we not? That, that on the one hand, you, you see people excluding themselves, saying, no, I don't want any of this. But then look at the very next verse. There's a whole other multitude that has a whole different perspective. What do they want? They want forgiveness. They recognize that what they have is something incredibly significant. Look at verse 14. And all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women were constantly added to their number. Multitudes. It doesn't even tell us exactly how many. Too many (laughs) to count. That's how large the church was now getting. And while some responded as as, as giving a stiff arm to the church, others responded how? By saying, yes, we want to be serious about the Lord. We understand now what you're saying. We can see the significance and the power that's being displayed and what God is doing among you. But isn't it interesting as to what is mentioned and what isn't mentioned? All that we see mentioned up to this point are are signs and wonders. Is that what they were trusting in? Is that what they were believing in in order to be considered part of the church now? Is that what a believer in the Lord is? That they just believe, oh, just believe in the just believe in the good stuff that I get. And yes, I'll believe as long as you continue to do such and such. No. We we know even from how they prayed in 29 to 30 that what they were all about was speaking his word. Speaking this miraculous message. And so what did they trust in? They were trusting in the message. They were trusting in the Savior. They were trusting in the Gospel. Believing that exactly what they were being told about Christ, that He is indeed God. That He is indeed the Messiah. And that there is no other way to the Father but through Him. That's what they were believing in. Which brings me to another question. How did this early church grow so much? I would have thought it would be the complete opposite. After what happened there, I would have thought everybody would have been keeping them stiff arm away from them. Why would you want to get involved? I, I believe there's three things that we see in, the, in this text and what we saw even in last week and what we'll see next week. First is the purity of the church. That, that they were caring about sin and dealing with sin. And, and we see that characterized even now in, in God blessing them. And then we see the power that was being portrayed in this church. I believe that had a drawing effect. And then what we're going to see next week is we're going to see the persecution that happens. And I believe that had more of a drawing effect. But you know what? Normally when you look at that, and if we were to have some, I don't know, some organization come in here and tell us exactly how to raise up the numbers of Rancho Baptist Church, they wouldn't say those things. They'd say, oh no, you need to get rid of this pulpit. You need to not spend so much time in God's Word. You need to do this. You need to do that. You need to dim the lights. You need to put a Starbucks in the back. You need to do this. You need to do that. You need to make it more comfortable. Well, that isn't what God's Word says. This doesn't sound comfortable. A church where you go and somebody falls dead? 
that's not comfortable. And, and yet the reality is that this is what the Lord was doing. He was purifying His church. And then as a result, He was allowing the church to grow. You know how many churches don't practice church discipline? Because they are fearful of what everybody will think. And they say, oh no, we'll be considered too stringent, too unloving, too strict. That, that isn't what I see here. I see the complete opposite. You, you abide to the Word, you hold to the Word, and you lovingly and graciously love others. And at times that means exposing sin. And what does God do? God honors that. Why? Because we're supposed to be committed to the same commitment that this group had towards holiness. What did they love? They loved purity. And as they loved purity and loved the Lord and upheld His Word, that that had this effect of pushing some away and drawing some near. And cannot we trust the Lord that He will draw those near who He wants to draw near? Those that, that, that believe that God's Word should be the driving force behind everything that we do, everything that we are. And you know what? We, we see church discipline talked about throughout Scripture over and over again. It's, it's not just in Matthew 18, which it is, which is the very words of Christ, so we know it's important. But, but we see it in, in, in Paul's writings. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 20, it says that he puts out, that they put Hymenaeus and Alexander out of the church because of the way that they were teaching and living their lives. He commanded the Corinthians to remove this this man guilty of immorality in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And in Galatians 2, 11 to 14, we, we see Paul actually confronting Peter, a leader of the church. So are leaders outside of this scope of church discipline? No. No one's outside of the scope of church discipline. It, it, it's supposed to purify the church and help the church become more like Christ. And so after they mention the numbers of believers growing, they, they, it comes a, a depiction of the resulting res, response. Look at verse 15. We see it in two different ways, that, the way that they respond. So as they, they grow, they were constantly added to their number to such an extent that they even carried the sick out into the streets and laid them on cots and pallets so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on any one of them. This is just one of those bizarre passages in Scripture. What? Seriously? Yes, seriously. Well, no doubt they had seen God's power and right before them and heard about God's power that they were, well, man, okay. There is so much power going on right now that, that maybe if, if we just get our loved one close enough to Peter that he doesn't have to touch him, he doesn't have to talk to him, just has to be his shadow, has to walk, has to come by them and touch them. That that's enough to... to Heal them. This word for, for sick is the same word used in, in chapter 4 for the paralyzed man. Somebody with one of these incurable diseases where they can't move. And so that's why they're putting them on mats and, and the different delineations between what it's speaking of. On the one hand, it's talking about a cot. On the other hand, a pallet. Are those one and the same? No. A, a pallet was made a straw and it's for the poor. A cot was seriously a bed or a couch and it was more for the rich What's the idea? The idea is that both the rich and the poor recognized the power that was being displayed. And they said, man, we're willing to try it. 
Isn't it interesting that the, the Word doesn't tell us if this actually worked. It doesn't say that on the basis of that as the shadow fell upon them that all these... We, we see next that many are healed but not in this context. We don't even know if this actually worked. Could it work? Oh, you bet. Is God limited? He is not limited. He can do anything. We, we know that, that just by touching the garment, Jesus' robe, right? That, that a woman in Luke 8 was, was healed of a disease that no doctor could touch or fix. And, and we're going to see later on in Acts 19 that Paul uses handkerchiefs. What? It's not about Paul. It's not about the handkerchief. It's not about Jesus' robe. It's about Jesus. It's about the power that He has. And, and so, do I know for sure if people were healed because of the shadow? No. But could it have? Most assuredly it could have. Because that's how great our God is. But then look at verse 16. And I'll finish with this. Also, the people from the cities in the vicinity of Jerusalem were coming together, bringing people who were sick or afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all being healed. How many is this? We don't know. All were being healed. All that were brought to them. But, but recognize that it wasn't just the sick, but it, were, it was those with demons as well. Those that were possessed. And they were all being healed. But did you notice the significance of where they were coming from? It's now extending beyond Jerusalem. It's going to the outskirts of Jerusalem, to the cities surrounding Jerusalem. Which reminds us of what of Acts 1.8 and what Jesus had told His apostles. That they were to be His witnesses in Jerusalem, but also in all Judea and Samaria, even to where? To the remotest part of the earth. But don't get this flipped upside down because... They're actually not going yet, right? They're, they're not going. People are actually coming to them. And isn't that much easier <laughs> than us actually having to go next door and tell somebody about Christ? Or go to our office and tell somebody about Christ? Much easier to have them come to you. And so you know what God actually has to do in order to kind of push them out of the nest? He has to ramp up the persecution is what we're going to see next week. And as he ramps up the persecution, they have no choice but to flee. And as they flee out, then that's when the gospel starts to go everywhere. But God in his grace at this point is bringing more and more to them, even from the outskirts. Is not God good and gracious to work in this church? This church who just several verses before this, a a, a man and a woman... (laughs) A married couple had come up with this deceitful plan and then dropped dead before them. Let me close with the points to ponder. Just some things to consider this week. Consider how those outside the church would not associate with those within the church. No doubt this was the result of the judgment of God upon Ananias and Sapphira. Why? Because God is very concerned with the, with the purity of His church and His children. How important is purity to you? I say that with significance even for the day that it is today because I know many of us are going to be watching the Super Bowl. And there is so much garbage on those commercials. 
Why? Because that's what the world is. The world just wants to keep feeding us all of these terrible images that compromise our purity. How important is purity to us? Number two, consider church discipline. Do you actually believe in church discipline? God loves those whom He disciplines. And can church discipline be done with love as the driving force and restoration as the goal? Why or why not? I believe it can be done for God's glory. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the hope that it gives us, Lord. Knowing that that we as sinners can still walk before You and be used by You. Teach us to to love your commandments, to love your word more, and to prize purity and run away from sin. Go before us now, Lord, and continue to write your word upon our hearts. In Jesus' precious name. Hey, thanks for being with us today. It's always a pleasure to serve you with this CD ministry. Here at Rancho Baptist Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples who love God, love others, and live to reach their world for Christ. And if you have any questions regarding this sermon, or just perhaps knowing God in a deeper way, don't hesitate to give us a call. Our phone number is area code 951-676-2911. Or you can reach us on the web at www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. That's www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. Have a great day in the Lord, and God bless you as you continue to walk with Him.